Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, it's good to be back with you after being away for a few days and um, having that opportunity and getting, as we kind of stand on the edge of the Christmas season and uh, tomorrow being December 1st, believe it or not, it's hard to believe it coming through Thanksgiving this past week, and so much to be thankful for. And we are thankful for so much in preparing for the, the Christmas season. One of the big things that we do here is at Christmas Eve, we really uh, create a s- services that, that we believe you can invite your guests and friends to. And, and typically on Christmas Eve, we have thousands of people here. Uh, and so one of the things about that, though, is that that to do that, to prepare for that, we have to do a lot of things. And it's really important because ultimately we're not here for ourselves. We're here for the sake of the gospel. Uh, Jesus didn't come on Christmas Eve just so he could be lifted up as, as all focused on him to turn it back to God. And he, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And so on Christmas Eve, we do a lot of serving. In fact, uh, we have over 400 places where we need volunteers. We have services at 2, 4, 6, and 11 o'clock that day. And I want to encourage you to be thinking now about where you or you and your family can come. Now, you don't have to be here from 2 to 11. Uh, typically, you can choose a time in there. We have lots of places. And right outside these doors, immediately out there is a chance for you to to do that. But that's kind of a tradition here at Gateway if you're new to us over the last year and may not be, be familiar with that. But it's really a big day and a, and a great opportunity because we really see this as an important season. We've been going through a series. We've just done a series on reach about how to reach those who are disconnected from God. We're praying for a lot of people. And um, if, you, if you saw out on the, in the lobby the name tags, well over a thousand names are being prayed for every day. I, uh, even on my vacation, I was praying for the names that I had written down. If you somehow missed that or you have another name you want to add to it, we still have some tags out there and you can take them and put them out. It's immediately out these center doors is where they're, they're at and put those up there because we want to pray for them because we believe God is at work and God's power is needed. And what we do at Christmas Eve is not for us. It is for the, for the, for the gospel, for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we come as Jesus not to be served, but to serve. And so we are praying. And we are also giving, giving to the, the, the ministry of the church. And we hope that you'll be very generous this month uh, because... There are so many lives being transformed through what God is doing here, but also through our Christmas giving at Gateway, uh, and there's information about that in your bulletin, and you can look at that, and, and those things, and those number of things, including what we've done for the last several years on Christmas Eve, uh, our whole offering on Christmas Eve goes to our Starfish Kenya mission, and uh, we've given hundreds of thousands of dollars there. So uh, be aware of that. We also, as it was mentioned, have a, a, a reading plan for you to, to focus in starting tomorrow through the, the, the whole month of December to, to really get your, yourself honed in on what matters and what this is all about and to focus on God with us, that he is here in our midst. And that's the whole series that we're looking at. Because as we go through this, there are times when it can feel kind of overwhelming. And the people around you feel that as well. 
that's why we encourage you to pray for them. And in many cases, you may feel led to invite them. We have cards that you can pick up as you leave. We'll have them all this month that you can use to, to hand to people as an opportunity for, to, to, for them to come and be a part of what God is doing here uh, and experience especially Christmas Eve. Because the world around us is, 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 is a challenge, and there are times when it may even be, feel overwhelming. I, I know it has, certainly for me, there have been those times. Uh, a few times over the years where I, I got myself in positions where I wasn't quite sure how I was going to get through it, and I, I honestly had, for at least moments, a, a sense of despair about dealing with certain situations. Uh, to me, in, in those settings, sometimes an answer was not clear in the moment. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you, or you haven't had it to that degree. Maybe you haven't felt overwhelmed. But I suspect most of us have those times when we do, when we have felt like we've questioned, what are we doing? Why are we here? Does, does my life matter? Does it have purpose? Is there something bigger than me? Or am I just going through the motions? Am I just, am I just connecting the dots and checking the box. As the population gets bigger, as, as, as it seems like we, we become more and more numbers or passwords. I mean, do you, how many passwords do you keep up with today? As, as we are put on hold for dozens of minutes to push some numeric buttons on our phone with the hope that maybe we'll get to talk to a human being at some point in that endeavor. As we tend to sometimes isolate ourselves because we feel overwhelmed. Sometimes even, even using social media, which is all about connecting, sometimes we use social media so we don't have to connect too close. We can feel, in this world today, we can feel small, we can feel insignificant, irrelevant. So maybe that's why an annual celebration of Christmas is so important. It's so valuable. Provided we don't get lost in the trappings of the season. Because it does seem like sometimes, if we do, that, the, that Christmas just adds to the feelings of being overwhelmed as we, as we race around. I, I always have loved what comedian Lily Tomlin said, the trouble with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. And yet on a quiet winter's night with a magnificent star shining brightly in the sky, a baby was born in a small town in the Middle East. In the back, in the stable, with the only ones there, his mom, his dad, and some livestock. And in, in these quiet beginnings was this incredible prophecy and promise from an angel of the Lord to Joseph, the baby's father. We read it in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. It says, as Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And this is what the prophet said. Look, 
The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The angel repeated a prophecy that the prophet Isaiah had spoken 700 years earlier. But the crux of his prophecy, of his message, was even older. Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve walking with God. And the picture we get as we look at Genesis 1 and 2 is one of this completely open, this, this totally intimate and, and, and genuine relationship with God. We talked with Him. We walked with Him. We could see that God was literally with us in the beginning. But all you have to do is go a few verses to chapter 3 of Genesis and sin enters the picture. Adam and Eve are evicted from the garden and that sense, that feeling of closeness and intimacy became a lot harder to perceive and experience. That's what sin does. Sin clouds us to God's presence and activity in our lives, whether it was thousands of years ago or it's right now, right here. And yet as we travel through the Old Testament, we we see this ongoing effort by God to convey in, in symbolic ways that he was interested in us. He was concerned that, that even though sin had separated us, his presence was, st- was still with his people, even if we could no longer feel it as we had. Why did he do that? He did it because we need that. We need it. We need to know that someone cares. That someone cares about you. That your life matters. That what you're doing can be significant. That that someone knows who you are. They know the very, they can count the number of hairs on your head. They have seen you from the beginning of time. They've seen your life. And they created you for a reason, with a purpose, to make a difference. You matter. You matter. And as we know that, we know there is a God who cares. There's this hope then that we have that even in the midst of sometimes what life throws us when we don't feel it, when it doesn't seem to be happening, we have something to hang on to. Something that that in spite of our feelings can keep us from sinking into despair. We need to remember, we need to be reminded that we are not alone. So God gave us a Savior in Jesus Christ. But though that Savior is with us, it is easy to forget. And so he also gave us a celebration. A celebration every year at Christmas specifically to remind us that he is with us. And we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks, but I hope even in, in the music we've sang this morning and the, the things that we've talked about, you've begun to get that in the theme of this series and of, 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 of December here of with us, how important that is. But I want to I back up because sometimes we, we, we put it all there right at, at Christmas and, and what happened there, but God was working at this for centuries, going back far into the Old Testament. Folks like 
Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and, and Joseph and, and others had these amazing encounters in the book of Genesis with, with God who showed them that he was involved in their lives, that he, that he cared, that he had plans for them, that they mattered. And then in Exodus, we see a man named Moses having an encounter with God at a burning bush that, that somehow was not consumed by flames. And in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, the Lord told Moses, and, and, and listen to how God is talking to Moses. It, to me, it is, it's so personal. It's so, it's so individual. He says, I have seen, not I've heard, not I'm aware. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh, harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. No, I didn't read about it in the paper. No, somebody didn't tell me about it. I am aware. So I have, I have come down. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. When I read that, Boy, it seems so, so personal. It seems so serious to God. This is not a little deal. This is not a little thing to him. And yet Moses is overwhelmed, I mean, by the prospect that, that he is supposed to go and speak to Pharaoh who, who commands the greatest power that they know of at the time, and he has lots of excuses. But the very first thing that, that God says to Moses to assure him, and, and he will say many other things, but the very first thing he says in verse 12 is, I will be with you. You're not going at this alone. You're not going to fight this battle by yourself. You're not left high and dry. I know it seems big. I know it's bigger than you are. I know it's more than you can handle. But I am with you. No matter how big the task, that it appeared before Moses. God says he is going to be right there with him through the whole thing. And in fact, he demonstrated that in a, a couple of significant ways once the Hebrews began their journey to leave Egypt. In chapter 13, verse 21, it says, The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. The Lord himself is leading the people and guiding them. And this Guys, this was going to continue for 40 years that the Hebrews wandered in the wilderness and God led them. God led them through a physical manifestation of his presence of a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. No one, no one had ever experienced this kind of physical manifestation, this, this visual symbol. God's presence with him. Yeah, many of you have read that, you've heard that, but, but think about what, is, what God is saying. You get up in the morning, you open your tent, and there is a pillar of fire there in the midst of the camp. Fire. Fire burning and not consuming. Fire that is there. Fire that is there 
as you go and you pick up the manna to eat. Fire and cloud that is there as you go through your day. Cloud that's there when you're talking with your friends during the day. Fire that's there when in the middle of the night you have to leave the tent to go to the restroom, so to speak. And not for a few minutes. Not a momentary flash for 40 years. A bunch of you aren't even 40 yet. So maybe it's even hard to imagine. Even for those of us who are thinking back, 40 years is, is a long time. Can you imagine every morning getting up and there's this, this thing that had never existed before in your midst? And every night as you go to bed in the dark, there is this pillar of fire that has never been there before. And for 40 years, you saw that God was with you. In fact, you saw it so much that you took it for granted, which is just what we do. We take God's presence for granted. But God took it a step further. In Exodus 25, the Lord said to Moses, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build the ta this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. And God gave, then gives these elaborate instructions for, for building the tabernacle and the accompanying furnishings. And these were slaves. How, did they, how were they able to do that? Where did they get the materials? If you go all the way back in the beginning of Exodus, you see that when they left, God, in fact, had the people of uh, the Egyptians give these things to them to take with them on this journey. They had no clue. They had no idea that, that God would do this. God was already ahead of them preparing for this tabernacle, just as he prepares in our lives and he gives us resources to be used for his glory. He has, he has already given them to us to be used, whether it's our time or our talent or our treasure. And, and you, you and I never know when God is going to call upon us to use them. And these were the finest of materials that the Egyptians had given them, and they gave the gold and the silver and the, and the bronze and the material and the... And the purple cloth, and so much to the people. And they built this incredible tabernacle, 45 feet long by 15 feet wide of the finest materials. The tabernacle, some have said, demonstrated what has been called a graduated holiness and perfection because the metal on the most inner portion, which was called the, the most holy place or the holy of holies, where Moses or the great high priest would enter only once a year into God's presence in this place, that whole set area was made of solid gold. And then as you stepped out into the holy place, the, the rest of the interior, it was covered with gold plate, ordinary gold. And then as you stepped out of the tent into the courtyard, all the furnishings and everything was made of bronze where the people of God could go. Bronze, gold plate, solid gold. The tabernacle would be then this place where God met with Moses and its presence signified God's presence of being there with them in their midst, in their camp, 
residing with them day in and day out. In fact, it was placed right in the center of the camp. It, it, it was right there where people were. And, and around it were arrayed over 8,000 Levites. This is one representation, whether or not this is exactly how it was done. You see right here, here was the tabernacle and the outer coverings. And then you have the Levites on three sides and Moses and Aaron and their family right here on the fourth side facing east. And then based on the number of tribes, God, God told them how to camp and told the tribes where they would camp. And interestingly, the largest tribe was Judah. And when you lined them up, if they lined up like this, and we don't know if they did it exactly like this, but you would have to the west, to the north, to the south, approximately the same numbers of people and many, many more than to the east, representing perhaps, as some have suggested, an early picture of an even greater promise of God's presence with us through the cross. When the Hebrews moved their camp because the cloud told them it was time to move, they would in fact load up the tabernacle, the Levites would carry it, and they would carry it in the center of the procession with the tribes in front and behind. But always the tabernacle was in their midst. God was explicit about his desire to be recognized that he was with the people, literally in their midst, using imagery that, that gives a, a feeling going all the way back to the Garden of Eden as, as well as the tabernacle. The Lord said in Leviticus, I will live among you. I will not despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Through the tabernacle, God, God demonstrated, God showed that, his presence in the midst of the Hebrew people. But they didn't have to imagine, they didn't have to remember as they went through their day that there was a tabernacle there right in the middle and there was a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to point them to the reality because they didn't have something called a Bible back then to carry. They didn't have churches like we have. They didn't have many of the same kinds of symbols that, that point us again to this presence of God with us. And so God gave them these symbols. The God who liberated them from the Egyptians, who led them across the Red Sea on dry land, who provided for them food and water every day, that God lived in their midst. And that God provides all that we need today, and he lives in our midst. We are never alone, never apart from him. What, what may seem to us like, Nothing more than a, a fancy tent was designed to carry such great significance to the Hebrews back then, but it helps us today as well because it points. It was a preview of an even greater picture of God's presence with us in what has come to be called the incarnation. Incarnation literally means becoming flesh or becoming human. 
The, the doctrine of incarnation teaches that the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, became human, became flesh and blood without in any way diminishing his divine nature. And the Gospel of John put it this way in chapter 1. It says, so the word became human or became flesh and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And what's really interesting and, and, and gets lost on us uh, because we don't read this in the original Greek or understand the, the, the Jewish background as well is that the phrase translated here as made his home in the original Greek literally means to pitch a tent or dwell in a tent which is exactly what the tabernacle was. In fact, some early English translations, instead of saying made his home among us, say he tabernacled with us. That same picture is there. And, and here's the thing. The, the, the early Jewish lead, readers of this passage of John, immediately in reading this, the image of the tabernacle would have come to mind. It was so much a part of their, their psyche, so much a part of their history. It, it was the tabernacle that was always in their midst that was later represented by, by the temple that symbolized that God was there with them in, in their midst. And then coming the time of Jesus, we know that that tabernacle was transformed into flesh and blood. The symbolism of the tabernacle of God being with us has now become the symbolism and the reality that the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ is with us. Isaiah's Emmanuel, which, which means God is with us, is now Jesus Christ in the flesh who is with us in our midst here. We said earlier here, he's enshrined in our praises. Through his Holy Spirit, he lives within those of us who are followers of Jesus. This, this Jesus who walked with his disciples, who interacted with thousands during his lifetime, who bled real blood, who suffered real wounds, who cried real tears, who died a real death. All of this to demonstrate how far God was willing to go to prove that he is with us, that he would not stop at death. He would go all the way through death. There is no human experience from birth to death. That this God of ours who is with us has not also experienced. And he wants us to know that he knows, that he understands. No other so-called God of history ever entered into human existence so completely to the point of dying. In fact, for a long time, the very idea that a God could die, much less would die for human beings, was considered heresy. It was going too far. But ultimately, the church affirmed and claimed that, in fact, anything less than death on the cross, any notion that God's Spirit left Jesus before he died, before his death, or that he only appeared to die, that is what ultimately became the heresy. That God so fully entered into life with us that even the greatest fear of death did not overcome him. The incarnation loses its meaning, loses its ultimate purpose with anything less than this idea that God is with us on our side 
to the extent and to the degree that he would allow himself to be sacrificed on a cross for the sake of the salvation of the world. In Colossians, Paul wrote, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. God did this for you. God did this for me. God did this for people who don't even believe he exists, for people that you are praying for right now who are disconnected from him and far from him. God did that for them, and that's why we pray, and that's why this is so important, because God is with us no matter what we think, no matter what we feel. He is on our side, and nothing and no one can separate him and separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. The God who created the universe, who met Moses in a burning bush, who, who led the, the Hebrews out of slavery in Egypt, whose presence was symbolized by a, a, a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud and a tabernacle in the wilderness, the, the God who defeated death on the cross through His Son, Jesus Christ, who created the church through His Spirit, is the God who is with us right now. I mean, right now, in this very minute, no matter what else is going on, He is with us. You are not alone. Whether you feel it or not, God is with you. And His tabernacle foreshadows the time when His kingdom will come here on earth as it is in heaven, when there will be no more crying or suffering or sorrow, when there will be nothing that distracts us from God's presence, all of that will be defeated once for all time. And once again, we will experience the intimacy of walking with God as Adam and Eve did in Genesis chapter 2. This past week, I took my son William hunting with me out West Texas way. And um, I've also taken my daughter Catherine when, when her college schedule would allow. And, and one of the things I love about our hunting trips is that my kids know I'm there with them. I mean, when you get in a car and you drive for hours and hours, you're with them. There's no getting around it. We bunk in rooms right next to each other. We go out to the deer stand together. And if my daughter is there, it was all three of us in a stand together. If it was just my son, it was both of us. We're there. We're there before the, the sun rises. And it's, it's cold sometimes. Sometimes it's really warm. You know, you think it's going to be cold and you dress for it and then it, it warms up too much. We're, we're there when it is so boring and there is not a thing moving and, and life is just motoring along and you wish something would happen, anything would happen. And then we're there in these incredible times when God's creation comes alive, like when the glow on the horizon to the east and the sun begins to rise or you see it set in the west or we're there and we're watching God's creatures 
We watch deer and we watch turkey and we, we see them out there. And, and one morning we're out there watching them and, and a fog came in. The fog was only eight or ten feet high, you know, and we were kind of up in our stand just above it. And this fog comes in and we were watching these deer and, and they start to uh, disappear into the fog. It's so cool. And we saw that together. I was sitting in a stand one afternoon, and, and again, nothing was happening, and it had been a little colder there, and so most of the leaves had already fallen, and so it's getting kind of gray. And I had my binoculars up, and I was looking at the tree line, and I saw this incredible red cardinal. And you know, have you ever seen the, the people who make Christmas cards, okay? And it's just kind of all white with this red cardinal on it. Well, that's what I was seeing, except no one painted it. It was the real deal. And we're out there together. In the mundane moments, in the exciting moments when maybe one of us is going to shoot, in the disappointing moments when maybe we shoot and we miss or we, it appears we missed. But it's together. And, and it is my prayer and my hope that my, kid, my kids will never forget those times where they knew I was there with them. I'm always with them. I always love them. I'll do whatever. But in those moments when there was no getting away, it takes me back to when I was a kid and my dad took me hunting or fishing. And though I wasn't around my dad a whole lot because of his work, he was with me in those times and I knew it. God is with you. Sometimes you know it. Sometimes it's so clear. Sometimes the symbols are vivid and obvious. And sometimes we forget. Or it doesn't. We don't feel it. We get this out of sight, out of mind mentality. We get busy. Life gets crazy. Even in the month of December, there can be so much going on that it becomes a pain sometimes to think about some of the stuff of Christmas. But God gave us Christmas to remember, to know that He is with us. And we may put trappings on it, and we may obscure the meaning, but at its heart, Christmas says that He is with us. Why? Because he loves us. And he wants us to know that and remember that and never forget. So that no matter what your week holds before you, no matter what your year holds before you, no matter how distracted you may get, no matter how crazy things get, no matter how much into the tank it seems like it is going, just as the Hebrews could look and see a tabernacle in their midst, just as the Hebrews could see a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, God says, look, I am with you. In Jesus, I am there through his spirit. If you trust me, I live within you. And nothing and no one can take me away from you. Don't 
worry about the, what the world says or how it feels. Look to me, and I will see you through. I will give you symbols, but ultimately, I will give you myself. Emmanuel, God with us. Father, as we go through this season, here we stand on November 30th, the day before the first day of December. It already feels like a zoo out there, Father. It's crazy. Life is hectic. The stores are already crowded. The streets are already overfilled. There's construction on the freeway. All those things, Father, go on. And and maybe we've got family or friends that are going to be coming, and some of them maybe sometimes bug us. There's so many things. There are deadlines at work. There, there are kids at school who mistreat us. There are bullies. There's tragedy in our lives. There are sorrows. There are hurts. Tears. Help us to remember you are with us. No matter what we see, or even feel. You have given us symbols and reminders that are designed to continue to draw us back to you so that no matter what this life dishes out, we can be confident that we are never alone, that our lives matter, that you can use us for great work because you love us and you are with us. Thank you, Jesus. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.